the level of willing submission that we give to another is directly proportionate to the level of authority they've been granted in our life. Let me just illustrate that for a minute with a, in a way that may or may not have actually happened to me. Let's just say I was at a sporting event and there was bleachers and I was standing at the front of the bleachers in front of the railing. And let's just say that a high school kid walks by and informs those of us standing at the railing that we are not to be standing at the railing. They said, you need to get away from the railing. Please get away from the railing. And I look and see that it's a pimply-faced high school kid, and I just kind of was talking to somebody else. The level of willing submission, deference, I give to another is directly proportionate to the level of authority they've been granted in my life. Now, let's just say that a couple minutes later, an adult man who looked like he was wearing some kind of official shirt for the event walks by and says to a group of people still standing at the railings, everybody, we need you to move away from the rails. No one's allowed to stand by the rails. And I look at him and think, who are you? No, I'm not asking his identity. I'm asking, what gives you the right to tell me where I can stand and where I cannot stand? So I just keep watching. And then a couple of minutes later, there's somebody else who's I feel a presence next to me, let's just say. And I look over, and it's a uniformed security officer. And the security officer says, you need to get away from the rail. And my response to the uniformed security officer who may or may not have had a weapon at that time is, yes, sir, right away, sir. And I move. That would illustrate this thought. That the level of willing submission or deference that we give to another is directly proportioned to the level of authority they have been granted in our lives. And that's what makes the question that Jesus of Nazareth asked in Matthew 16 so significant. Now, if you have a Bible, I invite you to take a look. Or access to one. Matthew chapter 16. Jesus, talking with his disciples, asks them this really, really significant question. Verse 13 of Matthew 16. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples... Who do people say the Son of Man is? They replied. Well, they were going to reply that there's a lot of different opinions out there. Some say John the Baptist. Others say Elijah. Still others, Jeremiah or one of the prophets. They all have theological reasons for answering the way they did. We won't get into that now. And then he asked this question in verse 15. But what about you, he asked. Who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered, you're the Christ the son of the living God. That question is so pivotal for for the reason we just gave. That the level of willing submission that we'll give to another is directly proportionate to the level of authority they've been granted in our lives. And let me tell you, whether or not you've consciously answered that question, everybody in the room has answered that question from Jesus. 
Who do you say that I am? The way we answer it determines the level of authority we've been granted him. And can I also suggest this? There is a correct answer to his question. And that answer, the hint of what that correct answer is, is what our series title is based on, what this is all about. In these next few weeks, the desire is to help us both identify the question, our answer to it, and then find and consciously choose the correct answer. Because there are a variety of different kinds of options, as you see from the disciples' response. Because some people could answer that question, who do you say that I am, with this level of authority? They would say that Jesus is just a guy. That's the phrase we used to use in uh, sports, when we would size up the other team. And we would say, who do we have to watch out for? Who do we have to guard? Who's the most significant players on the team? And then there are some people who they're pretty much nondescript. And we'd say, well, who's playing that position? They'd say, well, that's a jag. He's just a guy. No need to kind of give much to him because he's just a guy like any other guy. This answer about Jesus is very, very common. He may be historical as a human being who lived. He may be a myth. He may be an amalgam of a lot of ideas about what he is, but he's kind of just a guy. That response was very common when Jesus presented himself. Some of the leaders, religious leaders, Pharisees said, this man is not from God. John 9, they say, we know that this man is a sinner. He's just a guy. He's like everybody else. History's full of them. Self-appointed people, self-described leaders, people that say they're authoritative, but they just pretty much fit in with everybody else. Sarah Silverman is a well-known uh, comedian, a uh, very funny lady, and is an outspoken atheist and makes uh, a lot of mockery of, of organized religion and of Christianity, but a lot of religion. And when she talked about, she, she mentions Jesus a lot in her comedy. This, this is what she said. I don't believe in Jesus or God. And she said, the words attributed to Jesus have become so perverted over time, it's been like a game of telephone. If he existed, Jesus would probably kill himself if he heard what was been attributed to him now. And then she said this. To me, I love the idea of Jesus. For a lot of people, he's, it's more of an idea. Whether or not he was a real person doesn't matter. But you know what? He said some interesting things, and he's a good addition to the collective species evolution of man. If that's the level of authority that's, and position that he's granted, then our, then our level of deference to him, our level of, of willing submission is pretty much to just list him among thousands of others. We could laugh him off. We'd even mock him for, for some of his claims. We can ignore him altogether. Or we could say, well, you know, the idea of Jesus is what's important. It's like the statement that says, art is whatever you want it to be. Modern art, especially. It's, you know, well, what is it? What? Well, no, it's just whatever you want it to be. And I look and I go, it's blotches on blotches. That's, I, I don't... I, want, I could want it to be a tree, but it just looks like blotches to me, you know? But that's the idea of Jesus that some people would have. And, and maybe we say, oh, yeah, he served a nice purpose, but we can pretty much 
If that's all he is, we can ignore him altogether. You might ignore him to the degree that you ignore this guy. This is Jehovah Wanyanyi. He's a Kenyan, born in 1924, and he is a self-proclaimed deity who says he's the father of Abraham and, and, and or Adam and Eve, and that Jesus is also his son. He claims the ability to cure AIDS has stated that he would punish Kenya if they did not give him the equivalent of $34.6 million. Still lives in Kenya, has lots of children and grandchildren, and he has between 120 and 1,000 followers who say that he is deity. I'm going to guess that most of us in the room have never heard of him before and probably don't ever want to think about him again, right? Why? Because he's a jag. He's just a guy. He's a guy who said some things, but he doesn't have any relevance in our lives. That's what has been said about Jesus. Then you hear Jesus talk and you hear things that are said about him. And what he said about himself and what has been said about him challenges that. Who do people say that I am? Well, this is what the Bible says about him. John 1.18, no one has ever seen God, but God, the one and only who is at the Father's side, is referring to Jesus of Nazareth, has made him known. John 3.11, I tell you the truth, we speak. This is Jesus himself talking. We speak of what we know. We testify of what we have seen. He said in John 7.16, Jesus answered, my teaching is not my own. It comes from him who sent me. And the disciples gathered around him, and Simon Peter answered him, Lord, when he says, do you want to go away like others are going away? Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of life, eternal life. We believe that you are the Holy One of God. He claimed a higher level of authority, the sanctioned truth revealer about God. And so maybe some of us moved and we say, okay, who do you say I am? Oh, he's just a guy. We say, no, no, he's more than that. He is credentialed by God. He's an authoritative one. And that's where the phrases that he's a prophet come from or teacher or example or emissary. Look again at Matthew 16. When, he, when Jesus asked them, who do people say I am? In verse 14, they replied, well, some say you're John the Baptist. Others say Elijah, who's a prophet of God. And still others, Jeremiah or one of the prophets. They're basically saying they think that you got something to say. They think you got some authority. People are saying that you're credentialed by God, that you should be paid attention to. The people who were around Jesus responded that way a lot. When Jesus, this is Matthew 7. When Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching because he taught as one who had authority. He seemed to be credentialed by God to represent him. He, when he spoke on the topic of God, it seemed to make sense. People said, This is what they said about him. I believe him. And a whole lot of people in our culture right now would say, a whole lot of us would say, I believe him. When he speaks about God, he's got credibility. If that's the level of authority and position that we grant to him, then our level of deference to him, our level of willing submission is that we will respect him, we'll salute him and honor him. Perhaps we'll adopt his moral code because we believe he speaks the truth. We'll listen to him and we'll pay attention to him. Some would label ourselves a Christian, a, an adherer to the teachings of the Christ because we believe him. We got books on our shelf about those from, from people who we believe on certain topics. 
And sometimes we even earmark their birthdays. We celebrate holidays for some of them for the significant things they've said. So that if I want to get the true expert advice, if I want to get the bottom line on sex, I check with Masters and Johnson. Got a book by them on my shelf about it. I don't, but you could. If, if, if I really want to get the definitive word on fitness, then maybe I listen to what Jillian Michaels has to say. Because she's cut and she's worked with people and she's, got, she's an expert and you might have DVDs because that's who you trust. If I want to know who, what, what really, really works to win the pennant in baseball, I do not check with the general manager of my team. I read, I read Bill James. If, if I really want the definitive word on who's the father of my children... I go on Maury. <laughs> and if I want to know about God, I check in with Jesus. Because he spoke, speaks with authority on that. And so I believe him. He's credentialed by God. And that's great. Who do men say that I am? And Jesus says something a little more. And the Bible says something a little bit more, that Jesus is more than that. The Bible says that Jesus is not just a man who speaks with authority about God. He is the creator of heaven and earth. Colossians 1, 15 says, He, Christ, Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, firstborn over all creation, By him, all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things were created by him and for him. John 1 calls him the word, the one who expresses or reveals who God is. Manifest God. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. Jesus used what could be considered and was considered blasphemous words when he quoted, he took the phrase out of Exodus 3 when God identified himself when talking to the Pharisees and they said, who are you? You're not even 50 years old and you say you've seen Abraham's day. And he says in John 8, 58, I tell you the truth, Jesus answered, before Abraham was born, and then he uses the phrase, I am the tetragrammaton, the one who is. That phrase was exclusively used by the God most high. And Jesus just used it for himself. He is preexistent. He is deity. He is God in the flesh. He's the creator. Hebrews 1 says it. The Son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. Not only that, but he is the judge over life and death. He's the one who holds life in his hands. He's the dispenser of life. John 1 says it that way. In him. Contained in him was life, meaning he wasn't just alive. He had the power of life, the dispensing of life. And he went so far as to say, and this got him in trouble, in John chapter 5, just as the Father raises the dead and gives him life, even so the Son is the one who gives life to whom he he is pleased to give it. The next verse says, the Father has entrusted all judgment to the Son. What it says about Jesus is that he's the holder of life and he's the judge of every human being. If you get life, you've got to get it from him. And that means that perhaps there's another way to answer the question. He's not just a guy. He's not just credentialed by God. Maybe the answer to the question, who do, who do you say I am, is 
He's the gatekeeper and the gate opener, the exclusive one who can do that, the absolute authority over dispensing life. When John 1 says, in him was life, Hebrews picks up on that and says he, is, he becomes the author of salvation. Anybody who receives it has to get it from him. This is his authority. Revelation 3, 7 says this about Jesus. What, what he opens, no one can shut. What he shuts, no one can open. He's not just giving you good advice. If you want to live, if you want to have eternal life, you've got to go through him. There's no question about that in, in the followers of Jesus and in the Word of God. Acts 4, 2 says salvation is found in no one else. There is no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. First John gives him this title. And we have seen and testified the Father sent the Son to be Savior of the world. Now, if that is the level of authority and position that he's granted in a life, then the level of deference to him, willing submission means somebody who is granted that level to him will submit to him in that they have to appease him. They, ha- they have to go through him. They have to ensure that, he's, that they're on his good side. They have to take, listen to what he says and make, then make a profession of faith in him. They have to enact an active exchange with him by which they receive what he says it's necessary to give them eternal life. And the difference then is, it's not just, I believe him. It's, I believe in him. I accept what he says as the means by which I can be forgiven of my sins. And I, by faith, follow that direction. I place my trust in him. I say that you are the gatekeeper. I will submit to what you as the gate opener says you will take for you to, be, to do that in my life. I believe in him. And that's good, but you know what? When Jesus talked about himself, and when the Bible talked about, talks about Jesus, that's not all he is. He is... More than just a guy, he is more than credentialed by God. He is more than even just a gatekeeper. There's another level. A level that is astounding to hear. Here's what the Bible says. Here's what Jesus said about where, what his level of authority really is. When Jesus went to the cross, was put to death, and then did what he promised he would do that no other human being has ever done, incapable of doing, He commanded life to return to his own body. He showed that he has authority over all of life and of death. When he rose from the grave and he was glorified by his father, this is what he said. This is Matthew 28. We hear about the Great Commission where he says, go into all the world and make followers. You know what he said just before he said that? He gathers them on the hill. And this is what it says in Matthew 28. Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth, has been given to me. All authority. Jesus said this about himself in John 3. The Father loves the Son and has placed everything in his hands. He is more than just somebody who gets you to heaven. 
John the Baptist came and said, repent and prepare the way for the Lord, the master, the one who rules over all, the sole scepter holder of life and every life. It was said of Jesus in Acts 2, God has made this Jesus whom you crucified both Lord and Christ. Master, and the word Christ is used there. And the word means it it has an effect of being a a Messiah who comes, but it also carries a picture of royalty. He is the one and only true king. That he is your absolute Lord. Look again at Matthew 16, and that's what's so significant about Peter's response. Well, you know, you might, some think you're just a guy. Some think you speak with authority. What about you? He asked, who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered, and he said, you are Christos. Messiah King. You are the rightful leader and Lord, not just of this place, not just of this era, not just of this nation. You are the holder of life for the entire cosmos, the entire planet. You are the one who is the absolute Lord of all. He is the active controller of every molecule in our created universe. I showed you Colossians 1 earlier. Look what it goes on to say when it says all things, okay, it's the material universe, were created by him and they were created for him. And the, the, the phrasing of this in the Greek is actually talking about scientific molecular structure. And he is before all things and in him all things hold together. He's the active controller of the laws of nature and the material universe and the spiritual entities around us. We've said before around here that that our atheistic friends sometimes use this phrase that science gives us all the answers to life and then God becomes God of the gaps, the stuff we haven't figured out with science yet. God, Jesus, is not the God of the gaps. Jesus is the Lord of the quarks. He made them. He forms them. He is the one sustaining them and holding them together. Acts 10. You know the message God sent to the people of Israel, telling the good news of peace through Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all. If that is the level of authority and position that he's granted, then the level of deference, the level of willing submission, if somebody really understands that and really believes it, The the level of submission is to bow in every area of life and to submit to every choice and every moment and every realm of life to crown him, to enthrone him, to state that he is the king and Lord of my existence and my choices and my life. And it means he cannot be trivialized and he cannot be marginalized. He cannot be compartmentalized. He cannot be relegated to selected areas or certain hours of our week. He can't be contained. He can't be leveraged or used as a tool. He can't just be provoked when we want him. He must be submitted to fully and followed and elevated and crowned and enthroned. The level of deference, willing submission that we give to someone is directly proportionate to the level of authority that we have granted them in our life. 
And so we ask you, what level have you placed Jesus of Nazareth in your life? What is his rightful place? Is he the king? Is he the Lord? In just a couple weeks on October 30th, a whole lot of television cameras and reporters will converge on Cleveland, Ohio. And they will be there for the reason that they will watch where what they call the return of the king when LeBron James comes to play his first home game back in his home state for the team that he started with. The economy is being, will be influenced, they said, by millions of dollars by him. Everybody will be watching. And just imagine what it'll be like on October 30th in that arena when LeBron James is introduced to that crowd. Can you imagine what that's going to be like? It will be on the news. If what we have just seen is true, if the answer to the question, who do you say I am, is that you are the King, the Lord, and my Lord and King, if that is true, then if you would, I would like to allow you to, to, make, to let me, um, or I would like to ask you to allow me to make this introduction. Ladies and gentlemen, I present to you a man who needs no introduction. His accomplishments exceed the scope of every empire, every dynasty, every superpower ever known to man. When the material universe was formed, it was this man who uttered the words that spoke it into existence. He is the one who separated the elements of nature drew the borders of land from sea and shaped the landscape of the mountains. His mother was granted the title highly favored of God and his father is known as the supreme ruler of heaven and earth. From his lowly birth in an inconsequential village, he rose to prominence that transcends the greatest royals of our world. His wealth, his holdings, extend beyond an accountant's ability to compute. They extend from the cattle of a thousand hills to all the riches of heaven. Though he has never written an article or a blog or a book, he has created more headlines and inspired more printed words than any personality who has ever lived. Though he has never held public office, he has influenced more cultures and shaped more civilizations than any elected official ever. Though he's never worn a military uniform, he has commanded a greater army and conquered more kingdoms than any militia in human history. His biography continues to top the list of the best-selling books of all time. He once orchestrated the largest spontaneous fish fry on record, feeding 5,000 hungry tourists from two fish. 
and five loaves. He astonished the wine industry by transforming common drinking water into the finest quality wine this side of Tuscany. He faced down a major storm front and commanded the wind and the waves to be still just so his friends could row to shore in peace. Not only did he successfully calculate the exact number of stars in the celestial heavens, he formed each one of them individually and named them all distinctly. He does the miraculous regularly and the impossible daily. He has given sight to blind people, movement to lame people, healing to sick people. He has brought dead people back to life. No smoke, no mirrors, no sleight of hand. On every continent of the globe, he has given hope to the despondent, dignity to the marginalized, and freedom to the enslaved. He is known as the demon destroyer and the outcast defender. He is father to the fatherless and son of the Most High. He is the light of the world and the bright and morning star. His power is irresistible. His grace is irrepressible. His purpose is unavoidable. And his authority is indisputable. No one can match his presence. No one can impede his justice. No one can exhaust his forgiveness. No one can revoke his pardon. He is the rock of ages, and he's the chief cornerstone, the bread of life and the spring of living water. He is the lion of Judah and the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And when he soon returns... Ladies and gentlemen, he will ignite the sky with his brilliance. Riding in triumph, escorted by angelic armies, his strong arm bared and his leg tattooed with his true title. Every tribe will come to him. Every nation will acknowledge him. Every knee will bow to him. Every tongue will confess his preeminence. He will embrace those who have submitted to his kingship and he will rule on his rightful throne with justice and righteousness forever. It is my honor and privilege to present to you the author of life, the Alpha and Omega, the first and the last, the Lord of all lords and the King of all kings. Ladies and gentlemen, I invite you now to stand to your feet. Put your hands together. Bow your hearts and show your love for the great I am, the resurrection and the life, the one and only, the King, Jesus, the Christ.